Welcome to Write Good, the only podcast that helps you write good. I'm Raquel S. Benedict, the most dangerous woman in speculative fiction. As part of this podcast's dedication to sparking controversial, attention-getting discourse, we have a new piping hot take for you here today. Libraries are good. They're good. We like libraries. Having fun isn't hard when you've got a library card. But in this country, libraries are under attack by a small but zealous movement among the far right. Here to tell us about this is librarian and Steve Harrington impersonator, Eric Sandwich. Mr. Sandwich, thank you for coming on. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, you are a librarian in your day job, yes? Yes, that's right. I have my pseudonym of Eric Sandwich at night, but during the daytime, when I'm not also impersonating Steve Harrington, I got a haircut recently, unfortunately. So maybe No! I know, I, it was getting too unwieldy, but it'll come back. And uh, so I've lost my Steve Harrington powers briefly, but my librarian powers remain as strong as ever because, yes, I am a librarian. Yeah, librarian by day, a sandwich by night. Yeah, it's a painful transformation, yet somehow I endure like in flash dance. Yeah, um yeah, also I weld. Uh that's not true. No, I'm a yeah. librarian. I work for Brooklyn Public Libraries and uh I'm happy to help out the public and be a controversial hot topic in today's in today's anti-educator anti-librarian discourse. That's right. <laughs> so obviously we like libraries. We know that you can get books there and you can read the books there for free and you can borrow them and then you bring them back. And if you bring them back late, you might have to pay a staggering late fee of like a dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, send the hounds after you too. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's a lot of that. The dollar pays for the hounds. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, aside from you can get books from libraries, what else do libraries do for the communities they serve? Just to let you know, a lot of library systems, including my own here in Brooklyn, we've eliminated the fees. So there are no more fees anymore. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, we did the math and it turns out people, it's like a sunk cost fallacy or some something like that. I don't know. People turn in more books when they feel like they're not going to get punished for it. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, what we do is we wind up charging you the full price of the book if it's out for like a year or something. But uh, yeah, fair enough. In the book again, you're you're good to go. It's funny. The library has both like a de facto and a de jure. De jure, de effect. There is a use value to libraries and a technical value to libraries, and they're both uh, incredibly valuable. On paper, we're just sort of the information center. So we have internet, we have computers, we have technologies, we have the information that people can come in and need and use. And you might think, well, we've got the internet. Why is it that we need that? And the quite honest answer is, anybody ask me that question, the honest answer is, you have the internet. You know Mm -hmm. how to use the internet. You know how to use computers. I'd say roughly half the given population doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Most people are not as familiar or fluent with online or computer culture as you are. So I've had someone come up to me and said, well, I can just download all the books that you can for, I just know how to do that. So why should I have the library? And uh, I mean, never mind. No, you don't. Right. No, you can't. I, <laughs> I know for a fact that you can't. There's tons and tons and tons of, 
I don't want to get too far off topic, but all of the databases that you think you're downloading the world's knowledge from were all compiled by Silicon Valley dorks, and they're all tilted toward hard adventure science fiction and engineering and technical schematics. You're not going to have a whole lot of stuff on like, I don't know, cultural studies or in-depth historical stuff. You're just not because it's all tilted toward one way because all this internet stuff isn't an unbiased universe. They're all programmed by people and a certain group of people. But that's getting a little too off topic. The reality is most people just aren't familiar with even email or how to click. They're not. The world isn't online. And every time there's a new technical development, it just leaves behind older people, younger people, like really younger people who don't have that, who don't have like the support systems that you might, I say you in a general sense, not you, Raquel. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, I mean, that old, that old stick and point, poor people, sorry. (laughs) It's not just about having enough money to own a computer or get on the internet. It's about having computers your whole life and having computer access your whole life and knowing the vocabulary and the rhetorical grammar of using computers. I mean, there are people who come in and they can't click, they can't send an email, they can't read I believe you even had an episode on uh, our inability to teach kids how to read pretty recently. Yeah, yeah, quite recently. <laughs> <laughs> so most people just can't, like, they need a place to, in order to figure this stuff out. And that for that is the library. Uh, but then there's also, uh, you know, that is on paper. So on paper, that's impressive enough. But in practice, we're... Most people don't have, I mean, this is everybody. This is including all of you tech-savvy, young, hip millennials with a disposable income, right? You do not have a place to go other than the park that isn't your home or isn't a place where you have to spend money. There is no third place for you. In the win- in the summertime, there's the park, and people are already trying to defund those. But then in the wintertime, it's really just us. And you know, a lot of people said, well, that's not really in the mission statement of libraries, right? To just pick up all the slack of all of the cut public services. But uh, I mean, what can we do, right? Mission statement, mission statement. We're here to serve the public. And if you need a place to just hang out and exist without spending cash, we're here for you. And then as a result, we have programs, all sorts of different community programs that ideally would be picked up by a fully funded community center or, you know, whatever, but it's us. The library is the one place you can hang out for hours without having to buy something or without being inundated with advertisements either. Yeah, it's uh, every, every space. It's either you have to buy something or someone is at least trying to sell you something. And the way that this is disturbing for a lot of people is very funny because we get some people who maybe don't come into the library that often. They'll come up to me and they'll say, oh, my God, you know, there's there's like a homeless guy back there. I go, Yeah. They're people. <laughs> yeah. It's warm. It's December. He wants to not die of hypothermia today. We have a big sign that says we're a heating center because it's us that can be the heating centers and that's it. The idea that uh, you are allowed to exist without having all this stuff. I mean, it's controversial here, even here in New York City, right? Because our glorious mayor recently said that if you have like obvious uh, mental illness symptoms and you're just sort of outside and not in your home, we are involuntarily locking you up. It's a, a horrible stuff. So <sighs> in the latest war on the homeless, but the war on the homeless is just another step of like every aspect of our lives needs to be commercialized. It needs to be bought and sold to, it needs to be advertised to. And the libraries are one of the few places where that's just 
you just have a break from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's a break from that and it's also a, a home for education classes. It's also, I, I know my local libraries do a thing where they help low-income people file their taxes every year. We do that. We do uh, job prepping and uh, resume help. We'll do any program under the sun. Obviously, we do the story times for the little kids. And then we do crafting programs and things that ideally people could just get together and do by themselves without having to, again, like monetize it or buy something expensive. We'll just provide it for you because we want people coming in and we want the community coming in. They've tasked me to set up YA programs because there's a crucial point in, you know, parents will bring their kids in. And then at a certain point, the kids get to a certain age where they have a little more independence and they usually drop off going to the library or reading. So, you know, I try to set up programs that lures them back into the library. And I try to, usually I try to meet them where they're at, but you know, I've got an anime club. I come in and I play the PG-13 animes and I screen them first. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah. We're, uh, (laughs) you know what, if you, I mean, the nerdy kids got to have a place to go and it's great. It's great having, because once you're getting them to leave their parents' basements for an hour or two, that's, that is a fucking public service right there. Absolutely. And it teaches, I mean, it teaches them a lot of stuff. It teaches them sociability. You get to see, I mean, I've seen people go like, oh my God, I have friends. (laughs) I am talking to another human being. I think, uh, at my anime club, a couple met each other at one point, and uh, when they went Aww. off to college, they started dating. Yeah, they were the two. Oh my god, that's so cute! I know they started wearing these little like. Uh, please don't judge me. I bought a bunch of like cheap cat ears, and I said, "Here, you can have some cat ears." <laughs> yes. So you know, I said, "Here, have some pocky." And also, these teens, by the way, they try to get one over on you a lot because they keep saying like hey can we watch this this like next month can we watch this show and i'm like sure let me screen it first and i'll watch it and it's like you know boku no upskirt and i'm like no we're not nope <laughs> so i nope can't i'll get in trouble for that one yeah no uh, kidding yeah it's i mean there is an argument to be made like why is it that here in our western culture we accept a lot of violence on the screen for kids and not a lot of sexuality and that's an argument for someone who isn't isn't beholden to the public i'll let the philosophers debate that for me it's what will the parents yell at me about yeah what will get us sued what will get unfavorable media coverage for our library you know (laughs) yeah exactly what's gonna get into trouble but then other things it's like just meeting the teens where they're at so at one point we had this group of these group of high school kids and they were playing this very loud game of dungeons and dragons on one of our tables and other patrons were complaining about it and some library staff members were like we got to kick them out we don't like to do it but they're making too much noise i said no 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 bring them into our pick them up you know, there's yep. a there's a Patrick meme, right? Pick it up, put it here. You pick them up, you put them in our meeting room. Now it's a statistic. Now it's something. Now it's a teen program. Yeah, and, and got a tabletop RPG club or something. Club, and that went very well for a while, and then the most tragic thing in the world happened. They grew up. Uh, they, no, it happens. Yeah, then they went off to college, and uh, now I've got to restart the. I've got to find some other uh, nerds to come in yeah. <laughs> and play our game. Yeah, you got to leave a trail of Doritos mm-hmm. just yeah. going to the library. A trail of Mountain Dew. No, I mean, and it's like, you know, you might think that these are, yeah, these are nerdy tasks, but these are things that the kids are doing. You meet the kids where they're at, what they're already doing. Oh, yeah. You try to find a space for them. Oh, of course. And I mean, if they're if they're there, like, hey, you've got shelves of fantasy literature. Hey, kids, maybe you could read one of these books. 
Mm -hmm. And then you sort of guide them in through, you you tempt them with the YA fiction. And then when they're ready, I don't want to force them already, but when they're ready, we Mm -hmm. you say, if you like that, maybe try this thing that's a little more, a little more heavy, you know, a little more, uh, you know, I don't want to say literary, but um, I know I'm talking, yeah, you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, you can be a snob here. It's okay. Oh, okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, otherwise, where are these kids going to go? Maybe they could hang out in a friend's house, but... I mean, going to someone's house if you, after you just met them might be a little anxiety-inducing. Otherwise, it'd be like, okay, go to a cafe, but then it, then you're taking up a table in a cafe for hours and hours, and the employees are like, fucking move. Yeah. Um, Buy something or get out. Come on. And a lot of these kids, they don't have – maybe their home life isn't that great. Maybe they need a third place where they can be away from their weird family. Oh, maybe we should define the phrase third place since you've used it a couple of times. Well, so, like, do, a, do you know oh, yeah. the name of the sociologist who came up with it? Because I do not. I do not either. I should probably okay. know that. <laughs> <laughs> but the third place, it's a place you go that's not home or work. Yep. It's the very, very si- sort of simple, basic idea. But in contemporary American society, we have very few third places. So an example of a third place might be like your local pub where you go and just, you just hang out. It's not like a Starbucks where you get your latte and you leave, or maybe you just get your latte at the drive-thru. You just hang out there for hours, and you're a regular there, and you meet people, and you kind of interact with people who aren't exactly like you, too. You get to know your neighbors a little bit. You maybe make friendships with people who you wouldn't normally work with or live with, people who are on sort of different socioeconomic ladders through society. And third places are really, really valuable and wonderful, and there's not a lot of them anymore. It seems like a miracle, but it's also incredibly basic, and all cultures have it except for ours, because every second of our lives has to be, every part of our lives has to be monetized, individualized, and atomized. And it's down to the architecture itself. I mean, the idea that you live in a town with a street and you go on the street and say hi to your neighbor, that's not thats not a thing anymore, you know, maybe no. in the big cities, but that, even then it's rare, right? Uh, but no, it's like you drive to the place and then you drive to the, a place where you shop and then get out of there if you're not spending and then you drive home. And whatever you do, do not talk to your neighbor. Now, if I wanted to put on my little tinfoil hat, I'd say they did it on purpose because if you talk to your neighbor, you might organize with your neighbor. And if you organize with your neighbor, you're going to get some funny ideas about how much you're getting paid at your work. But nah, I'm sure that's not. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure that's. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, and that is my phone that I forgot to put on mute. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's quite all right. Professionalism. No, I thought it might be yes. a cat. <laughs> yeah. My cat sending me a text. It's mm-hmm. like, bitch, it's treat time. Come yeah. on. Where's my treats? Little frowny face. Where's my treats? <laughs> Just a picture of the empty bowl. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) So the library is one such third place for a lot of communities. That in the park, right? Well, you're starting to, I guess. Some people really want to enclose on the parks, right? Fuck's sake. Like a literal enclosure like they did back in the English farming days or whatever. Uh, What what was that thing they were doing in Puerto Rico where like the public- Yeah, privatizing beaches or at least trying. And, um, and local people, because because of course the government sucks. Local people ended up tearing the construction sites down with their bare hands. Right. Good. Because the cops weren't doing their job. Based. <laughs> yeah. Extremely fucking cool. Yeah. Because people know what they want. They do. People yeah. are okay when it comes down to it. We're just set against each other by society, and hopefully, with more public spaces that 
where you're not hassled. Your inner your inner okayness comes out. You know, and I see that at the library. People, the the patrons who come in, they're like a lot of them are horrible, right? A lot of them are rude. <laughs> I mean, a lot of them are rude, and a lot of them have like a bad day, and a lot of them treat each other very poorly. But when it comes down to it, when you kind of I don't know, give them the basic service they want. And they're like, oh, well, what, how much money or like, what kind of form do I need to fill out? Or how many red tape or hurdles do I need to go through? Or like, how much do I need to put on my credit card? You're like, no, you get this for free. And then they're there. You see just the stress melt away because, oh, this is something that I can just have and not feel bad about finally. Yeah. And what if, you know, what if society was a little more like that? That'd be nice. So in addition to being a third place and a free third place, Libraries also often act as a defender of intellectual freedom and freedom of information and privacy. In the early 2000s, after 9-11, librarians spent a long time really fighting tooth and nail against a section in the Patriot Act that required librarians to hand over patron reading habits to the police. And this section also hit librarians with a gag order so that they were forbidden from warning anyone if the authorities made them hand over that information. So you would be forbidden from telling one of your patrons, hey, the FBI asked us what you were reading. So how and why did librarians get that hardcore? (laughs) Oh, we've always been hardcore. Uh, Thank you, though. No, it's great at our system... Uh, in fact, the last two systems I worked at, when you checked in a book, there's just no record. Like people will say, well, can you pull up a record of books I've checked out? And I say, no, because they automatically disappear when you've checked them back in. So you can't, like, there is no record to pull up in the first place. So even if the cops wanted to, we, you know, who's been checking out all the Antifa books or whatever, we couldn't say. Hell yeah. Yeah, we we could say, I don't know. We've got what books you've put on hold. We've got a record of what books we've canceled, but like the holds that you've canceled. And that way, that's just a practicality thing, hmm. like pulling up, like in case you want to re-put that one on hold. But yeah, it's it's great. No, we, we take our mission incredibly seriously. Why we do it? Because it's good. It's the right thing to do. I will say that there is, again, I'm going to go back into the private public thing all over again, but because we're a public service, because we're a public service that takes our role very seriously, we do that. But the e-libraries, I have noticed this. Are, uh, are you or I guess the listeners familiar with e-libraries? I mean, somewhat, yeah. So most branches will, they're good. let me foreground this by saying e-libraries and digital audiobooks and downloading your digital books and downloading digital audiobooks are very good and I am for it. And e-books are great and audiobooks are great. And if you read those and listen to those, they're good and you should borrow them and do them, all of that. So what it is, is most library systems are getting into the ebook game or the audiobook game by subscribing to, there's a private company. There's either Overdrive or like Libby is another one, or there's just mm. any number of private e-libraries. And the idea is we have a budget and we give them some money and then we have access to their e-library. And from there, you can download a file onto your device, your laptop or your iPhone or whatever. And that is an audiobook or an ebook that you have three weeks and then it deletes automatically. And uh, that way you can do, and I'm, I'm pro it generally. I'm pro an e-library. I'm not a, I'm not a luddite. I, I don't disbelieve yeah. in technology. I'm also just realistic about technology, like what way this will disenfranchise some people and what way it won't. But in general, yeah. like you can bring out e-books and audiobooks to like a great, a very large number of people. In fact, they're very crucial for this Books Unbanned project. I think the two of us are going to get into that a little bit later. But um, yeah. I will say one 
bad thing about one thing that I think is a very a little not as good about uh, many e-library systems is that because they're a third party, because they're like a contractor and a third part, like a private contractor, that they are not as bound to ALA regulations or the librarian's code, as it were, as we are. Mm. So a lot of them do track what you read and like the statistics of what you read. I'm not casting aspersions on Libby and Overdrive. I'm just saying, hypothetically, they could do this because they are not bound by the same. I mean, they're private companies, so they're bound by making profits for their shareholders and not bound by the ALA code of conduct. They hypothetically could give away your information or they could sell marketing or marketing statistics and so forth. And I bring that up just as a general caution against any, 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 if you ever, anytime you hear some politician say like, well, we're going to put the service out to a third party contractor because it's actually more efficient to uh, do it like this. Make sure your eyebrow is raised considerably because it's just not true. Yeah, they're they're uh, iffy. They're I iffy, guess. and it's usually. Uh, and again, I'm not specifically referring to Overdriver Libby, which, as far as last I checked, is perfectly fine and lovely. I'm just saying, in general, it's a concern that I personally have. Right. Yeah. Right. As so, a privacy paranoid person. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah. understandably. I mean, that's that's the other side of. Libraries are one place where you can get information where you're not being spied on all the time, which is yeah. pretty cool. Constantly tracked and monitored. I was just at a grocery store and there were like cameras everywhere. And that, ugh. Anyway. Yeah. Or the uncomfortable thing where you have a conversation and suddenly you start seeing ads for the thing you were talking about. And it's like, oh, I didn't even Google this. Yeah. Well, let's see if it works on our computers right now over uh, Zencaster. Wait a minute. Uh, Frangelico. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to see where the ads happen and. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we get any Frangelico ads. I don't know why I thought of that, of all things, but yeah. <laughs> it's a specific thing, I guess. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this war on libraries. Maybe I'm being a little exaggerated, but it looks like there's this increasing pressure or increasing attacks on libraries, on librarians from the far right, from well, mostly from the far right, but also maybe a little bit from corporations too. There's been an increased demand for censorship and trying to ban books from libraries. I looked up the American Library Association's report on the state of America's libraries for 2022, and here's a quote. ALA's Office for Intellectual Freedom tracked 729 challenges to library, school, and university materials and services in 2021, resulting in more than 1,597 individual book challenges or removals. Most targeted books were by or about black or LGBTQIA plus persons. And that's an increase. That's more than usual, according to an NPR report. That means 2022 is on track to see the highest number of book challenges in decades. It's uh, it's not great. <laughs> Have you experienced this at your library? Can you talk about it a little bit? So thankfully here in New York, I, it's a little bit rarer. I think that a uh, my personal pet theory is that a city-dwelling environment is uh, you're less inclined to have that kind of thing than maybe a suburban environment because in a city-dwelling environment, you're surrounded by thousands of people and you're just going to see stuff that you personally find very weird and you gain a very high tolerance for that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. But uh, in a suburban environment, you are very deliberately sort of sequestered away into little boxes and uh, that makes you 
anytime there's something that seems the slightest bit threatening to your preconceived notions of the world, that's a personal attack on you. And it must be defeated at all costs. So that's sort of my pet theory. That being said, I have had I had one experience where somebody saw that there were LGBTQ books in the teen display and they said, well, you're pushing an agenda on my kid. And I said, have a nice day. <laughs> because what can you say to that? My agenda is to teach your kid that, that tolerance is good and that other people exist and their people who may seem a little strange to you exist. It's a pretty sinister agenda. I'm not going to lie. Where is this coming from? Hmm. There are two things I want to talk about. The first is there is just a general subcurrent of like, if it's weird or different. Incidentally, I did want to bring up, this is a little off topic. I apologize, but- uh, Go right ahead. You had mentioned- Tangents. Yeah. Oh, Tangents is wonderful. This is like a discursive novel right now. It's where like Tristan Shandy here and we're flying off into a different direction. You had mentioned uh, most of the books that are challenged had LGBTQ plus or uh, BLM or even just sort of- content in it, right? Racial, explicitly racial content in it. And my a frustration that I often have is with sort of the lingo or the imagery behind a lot of like a lot of band books week or a lot of fighting band book stuff tend to show, they tend to say like, well, band books are bad. We want to celebrate band books. And the band books that they always present up are like 1984 or... Right. So usually it's Mein Kampf because people ban Mein Kampf. Where even the even the books we don't like, like Mein Kampf, will those books need to be celebrated? Or Huck Finn because it's got the N word in it. And rarely do they show. Usually it's one of these like, oh well, the dang oversensitive libs are censoring our books. That's kind of what the mm -hmm. implication behind it is. Not a handful of years ago, right? Not like a year ago. The big thing was the libs were all trying to censor us. It's we hard right-wingers who are being the champions of truth and freedom. Well, that went down the <laughs> damn toilet real quickly, didn't it? Because yeah. over and over and over and over again, the overwhelming majority of books that are censored, banned, challenged are you know, explicitly queer affirming or explicitly racial books. Uh, and it, that's just, that's been the way it, it was for decades. And these like, Oh, the Band Books Week, Band Books Month. I feel like they could do more to say, like, I mean, they're doing it to depoliticize it, right? They're they're putting like, oh, well, for every Heather has two daddies, that's banned, or two mommies. I wonder if that was what it is. I Sorry. think it's two mommies. For every one of those that are banned, there's also a Huckleberry Finn that's banned. They're doing that to depoliticize it, so they can say, well, this is just a general, general fight against banned banning books and of all of all stripes of freedom of speech of all stripes. But I, I mean. The push to ban the books is a political one. And I yeah. you know, I do think that the response should be political. Like, no, this is explicitly coming from an anti-queer, an anti, maybe it's reductive to say anti-black, but whatever. I'll just say it, anti-black. I, I think it's perfectly fair to say anti-black. Anti-black. Uh, if, if someone's deeply offended that there's like a book about black characters in the library, or a book it's that fair mentions to call them anti-black because come the fuck on, grow yeah, up. Structural racism in society. Like if you even mention that, then that's pushing some kind of ideology and you're really mad at that but i'm sorry like what do you want it's the truth so yeah this is where the push is coming from and i i would prefer more of an explicit like i don't know maybe it makes it more palatable in in conservative environments to depoliticize it but what do i know i'm just a librarian uh yeah and i'm guessing i mean as, as annoying as censorious liberals can be and i i complain about censorious liberals over and over again. Nothing's going to happen to Huckleberry Finn. 
Nope. Nothing's going to happen to 1984. Those aren't going to get taken out. The teenager with the pig crew avatar on Twitter who got mad at you because you mentioned Frida Kahlo and she thinks that Frida Kahlo culturally appropriated part of her ancestry or whatever the fuck. Right. That person is like the worst thing about that person is that they're annoying. (laughs) They're just kind of annoying. They're completely powerless against you. And in fact, part of the reason why they're so outspoken on social media is because they're completely powerless and that there's no other way to affect change other than to be complaining on social media. Whereas the very well-organized people who want to kill teachers and ban everything that uh, so much as mentions anything out of biblically sanctioned sex. Those guys are very well-connected and very powerful. But you had mentioned, so where is this coming from? There is an undercurrent, like if you do not live in a society, if you live in a society, I'm sorry. (laughs) If, If you live in a culture, right? If your town or your locality or the people that you're around are exactly like yourself, then you get threatened by things that seem a little bit different. And a lot of it is we have these very isolated, atomized suburban environments where you can only exist in a little bubble because we don't have those common places and we don't have exposure to differences and, uh, different ways of being and different ways of acting or the ways in which society maybe fails a lot of people. The very existence of mentioning that is threatening, but that's not enough. I don't think that that's like that basic sort of bottom, like under the surface level of unease isn't really enough to organize a bunch of people around this. And I'm going to put on my little tinfoil hat for a second if I can. Okay. I think that some money, there is some not so hot money, some bad money, evil money is astroturfing all of this. They're putting yeah. in tons and tons of cash in order to well connect, 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 and well fund and organize uh, cranks. They're going to find cranks and give them a ton of cash to talk to each other and sick them on local school boards. And I think that there is a very, what I do know is that there are like what maybe not a whole lot of like the the organizations that are. Hold on, I had an article and I pinned it up here. If I can find it. You know what? I I lost the article. A fast-growing network of conservative groups is fueling a surge in book bans. This was a New York Times article. I apologize. I know New York Times has its problems. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) that being said, uh, they do uh, some good research, and uh, they were able to sort of look down the different suspiciously well-funded groups that are financing and organizing these book bans, these book challenges, and these protests that are sort of popping up. And I suspect... So I, I want to ask you something. If you took the idea of a library, right? Like a free place where you get to check out books and then return them. And yeah. They didn't exist already. And you were to say, we should have this. And you were to bring it up to like a politician or a group of your neighbors. Like The libraries don't exist, but you're trying to pitch the idea of the library to them. How do you think in today today people would react? They would call you a crazy person. Yeah, they would say this is insane. Yeah, uh, people would flip their shit. People have been trying to privatize the, the dang library for decades, decades and decades and decades. Someone will pop up and say, we need to privatize these libraries. We need to not have public libraries. This can be done by a Barnes & Noble or by Amazon or a venture tech thing like Bookly or something. So much uh-huh. better. And they're shouted down because libraries have become an institution. So what can, if this is a commons that hasn't been enclosed on and you stand to make a huge amount of money and you can't voluntarily get a community to get rid of their library, uh, what can you do? Well, you can gin up a bunch of 
fake news about libraries being centers of where they're going to harm your kids. You can do that pretty easy. You can start up a, a nasty moral panic. That's a pretty easy way to get a town or locality to defund their library. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. there was a town, a small town in Michigan that voted to defund their only library. Cool. <laughs> because they had LGBTQ books yep. and refused to take them away. Yeah. And uh, by the way, the librarians there are heroes and they stood up for their values against a yeah, good for them. public and good for them. Where I am putting on my tinfoil hat is they're getting funded by people who want to privatize the library. But I don't got hard proof. I'm just, this is, by the way, not, this is the kind of speculation that me as a human being is making. And me as a librarian yeah. is saying, we, you know. Because I don't know, I don't know if it's coming from people who are just sincere cranks because, hey, a lot of rich people are sincerely fucking ridiculous cranks and hateful people and, and just hate queer people. But yeah. I, I, I have kind of wondered, like, is this, is there an ulterior motive? Are these people just useful idiots to something that's got a moneyed interest? There's useful cranks about lots and lots and lots of topics. What makes or breaks any kind of given cause is organization. Like all the time it's organize, organize, organize. Can you coordinate with each other? Can you put pressure on a specific group or a specific uh, politician or ordinance? Or can you not? Can you get people out in the first place? I always use abortion rights as an example. Most of the country is like just for abortion rights. They do not want a blanket ban on abortion the way that the hard right does. And yet abortion opponents keep getting victory after victory they keep scoring w after w and why is that and that is there's just they're just tightly tightly organized they are lockstep organized and it's because there's a lot of money there money equals you can do you can do amazing things with cash if you have the cash to get people you can get people lockstep and organized with that so anytime there is a anytime that there is a concerted effort to push for a certain cause, there's usually some kind of money behind it. And yeah. I, this isn't any different. And you can whip up, you can always find a handful of dangerous cranks who can be whipped up into committing some act of violence too, to help you to sort of do your dirty work for you. And right. You, you and know, if you, you ask anyone to walk these... away with clean hands, like, well, I didn't directly tell him to do that. I, I didn't pay him to do it. He just did the inevitable thing that a person would do if they sincerely believed that the library was going to rape their kids. The most tragic part of it is a lot of these, I'm sorry, but delusional protesters is they genuinely believe this. I mean, I forget who, I forget what article it was. It was about, I think, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to have to find it. I'm going to have to link it. But um, if I can't, I'm sorry. But it was uh, interviewing somebody who had written a, like, a, LGBTQ inclusive teen book and then got into the ire of the conservative press and someone called them up and was next to tears and was saying, where is my son? You have my son. Where is he? Whoa. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. How would I know this? But like this person Holy shit. genuinely got into their heads that, and it's not, it's not rational. It's like some people are genuinely like struggling with either their own problems or maybe they're, Maybe their kids are LGBTQ or trans or something and have chosen not to be around their horrible conservative parents. And maybe their horrible conservative parents are genuinely upset about that and need a scapegoat. I'm not saying that the individual anti-gay, anti-black book censors are, it's not that they don't believe what they say. It's just the, there is money to be made in privatizing the library and at least one community completely disbanded theirs. 
there's been a ton of controversies over drag queen story hours, drag queen story hours. My question is, why are libraries holding a drag queen story hour? Like, I'm not, I'm obviously not going to promote the stupid lie that it's like, oh, it's corrupting them. I mean, a drag queen performance, it's basically a clown show. Mm-hmm. It's like a gender clown. It's not any more harmful than like a clown doing a puppet show to me. But it's legit a gender my question clown. is, yeah, it's just it's just a gender clown doing a silly performance. It's totally fine. No one gives a shit. No, no one who's actually seen them would be scared of them. Although perhaps, I mean, drag queens can say some really mean, witty insults. So that that is the one thing to be scared of if they'll like drag your outfit or something. That's pretty devastating. But <laughs> I don't think they're going to burn a child. <laughs> no, they're not going to like sell a child into slavery or steal their adrenochrome or whatever. Or they're even gonna, like yeah. or even just drag them. Their, like, yeah. Nice shoes, Billy. Yeah. Little Peachy here looks like an idiot. <laughs> Who dressed you? Your mom? Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom did dress you. Drag queen just totally insulting some five-year-old for combining primary colors in the same outfit. I look like a fire engine. Yeah, you sure do. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Why did this whole thing of drag queen story hours start in the first place? God. So uh, if you Google why drag queen story hours, by the way, the first two links you're going to get are, this this was so depressing because I was just curious what would show up. But if you Google it, the first two things that show up are, first, there was like a website called like, Feminists are us, like feminist current. I forget what it's called. And I was like, oh, cool. This is probably a progressive website. And it's the most turf, like, vitriol oh, I've it. ever seen in my entire life. They were all but Yeah, because like, quote unquote feminist turf sites are, it has been widely demonstrated that they get a ton of funding from far right anti-feminist extremist causes. And and somehow they don't think like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't take money from these people. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. If these people are trying to get me to say this, then maybe this is the bad guy. No. Yeah. Nope. Am I out of touch? No, it's the trans people who are wrong. I think it's the Women's Liberation Front, uh, Wolf for short. It has been widely proven that they get shitloads of money from far right, like chud, yeah, religious maniac conservatives, and they're still going. I, I, I don't know. I, I truly don't know whether they're just grifters or whether they're really fucking stupid. I don't know well no they're hateful hate likes hate and when you see someone else as hateful as you are you you cluster to them even if it's ostensibly against your fig leaf of a belief oh and then the second thing was some article about for by uh by i think christopher rufo or one of these i can't keep these i can't keep these people in in place yeah i know that he's some kind of jordan peterson guy or whatever (sighs) Was he the guy who started crying or the guy who can't pleasure his wife? I I, I forget who. Uh, ben Shapiro is the one whose wife has a very dry vagina and Jordan Peterson is the one who keeps crying. I can't keep these idiots in line. The point is there's no set answer for why this. And to be honest, I mean, the, the close answer is it's fine. It's, it's, it's just a fun thing. It's no different than a clown, but it's like a gender clown. It really isn't. It's not a sex thing. And it's weird that you think it is. England has pantomime shows where this happens constantly and nobody bats an eyelash at it yeah drag is this really traditional comedy staple especially in english culture i mean monty python and a lot of cultures come to think of it yeah it's just kind of normal the kids in the hall a lot of saturday night live sketches or, or drag it's just a comedy staple throughout in tons of cultures especially in english-speaking cultures especially in in the uk it's just normal. So it's super weird to see people freaking out about it when it's, well, I, I remember kids 
telling well, Monty Python jokes when I was a kid. Nobody gave a shit. It wasn't scary. What they're freaking out about is the idea that like it is equal to molesting the children to tell them to tell them that gender fluidity can exist. People, I mean, by having a drag queen story hour, yeah, I mean, a thing that it can do with a child is like, oh, people who look like this exist. Like, that's just a thing. People who kind of look and act a little bit different than you and me exist. It's just like we were talking about when you live this very isolated, atomized life. You don't understand that sometimes there are, and this is, again, for a lack of a more delicate term, sometimes there are just weirdos. Sometimes there are people who are just <laughs> different than you, right? You know, when you live in a big city, you see you see someone down the street and go, you're the weirdest guy I've ever seen in my entire life. What's going on here? And like you, <laughs> you just get inocu- inoculated to that kind of thing. Gender normativity is ingrained in us constantly. I love these right-wingers who think that the dominant culture is now woke, is now LGBTQ friendly because a handful of companies put pink in their logo or whatever, right? Right. Like absolutely not. The men are... Men are doctors and have pants and women are nurses and have skirts. That's not just the 1950s thing, right? That we've now grown out of. It is ingrained in us in so many, so many, so many ways. There's like a video that went viral of a guy at a gas station or a, I was about to say a bodega, but people outside of New York get really pissed off if I call them bodegas. They get very upset that we call our gas station something different here. So <laughs> they go, you think you're so special because you have a bodega. And I say, no, I don't. It's just, a, you know, your bodegas are just a gas station. Yes, I know. I, I know. Thank you. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, he's passing out after every purchase. He's passing out a flower and all of the, the women start crying and saying, thank you. People don't give me flowers anymore. I'm a 60 year old lady and it makes me feel special that you gave me this flower. And then it cuts to any time a guy got the flower, he lose his shit. And he'd start punching the glass partition and punching stuff going, I ain't your bitch. I ain't your this. Like, don't fucking give me this flower. Don't you dare. And it's like, no, this is not a healthy gender dynamic. I'm sorry. This is not healthy. Society has not gotten over its trickiness about this as much as you want to. And maybe it'll help out if you can, like, see someone very confident. If you see a man very confidently wearing a dress, that's probably a good thing. That probably will turn you into an adult that isn't going to lose their absolute shit. If you randomly get a flower one day, God forbid that that happens. But to these right wingers, that even approaching that is tantamount to harming the children. Their whole argument just falls like to the right wingers. I was just thinking about this the other day to these well-funded movements, this very well-funded minority. The drag queens have to be harming the children because if they're not, if they're not harming the children, then our whole argument falls to pieces. Right. Yeah. Then you sound like a complete baby. Then you sound, well... Who's freaking out over goddamn nothing. Over getting handed a flower at a grocery store. Yeah. I guess that's why they turn to something as horrible, something as loathsome as child molestation, which is a horrible crime and a horrible problem because they, like, what is the worst possible thing that I can think of? Well, they have to be doing this. Like, we're more forgiving and sympathetic of murderers, even. Yeah than of child molesters, because it's just the grossest thing. And of course, keep in mind, actual institutions that actually monitor and track and prevent abuse against minors, they're getting inundated by all this fake calls. And it's getting, it's hurting, it's hurting their efforts to find real stuff. Because anytime you see, anytime a random Twitter account finds a man wearing too light a shade of purple and thinks it's a little, you know, oh, it's a little, it's, you know, it's a little A kid might see that purple shirt you know and my then god about it and then six an online mob against some some innocent guy wearing too light a shade of purple 
And then they get all these calls and then they have to sort sift out what is a weird conservative cultural panic against an actual case of abuse. Never mind that these very locked in, these very isolated societies that don't get taught uh, sex ed and don't get taught about these things. That's more, you're more likely to be abused and groomed, as it were, in those societies. Right. I mean, right wing conservative religious institutions are just rife with child abuse. Everybody knows about the child sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church, but evangelical churches are horrendous too. They're they're really fucking bad. No, and any any institution that any way that you raise your child where you're not completely frank about, you know, appropriate and scientific yeah. obviously, but frank about sexuality is a gold mine, especially in societies where it's very all oh, sexuality has to be very very secretive, right? That's right. A, if you're a child abuser, that's great for you because you can do your thing and no one is going to go to an adult and say, this horrible person did this. It's really ugly. And it, and it's depressing to see it because, I mean, the word grooming was a very useful word to survivors or victims, whichever you want to call of, of sexual abuse, because it was a very useful word for people who had been through that to use to explain the manipulative psychological process that had been committed against them. Mm-hmm. And now the word is meaningless. You took this thing that was very useful to people who'd been truly harmed and truly abused and just fucking trashed it just out of spite. It's out incredibly of... shitty and callous. It's disgusting. It's completely disgusting. You know, it's the same thing happened to woke. Woke was a useful term for a while. And now what does it mean? It means mm-hmm. anything Ron DeSantis doesn't like. Like they legit can't define woke. And the court, there's some lawsuit and the court demanded... Florida attorneys to define what woke is before you ban all woke materials. And they, yeah, you know, they had a hard time with that. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, because it's just anything you don't like. It's creepy and revolting. I mean, I know why politicians do it. It's these, like, people have been scapegoating for centuries, right? For millennia, people have been scapegoating, right? This is an easy way. You can not pay attention to how shitty a job I'm doing as your elected official if i can say it's all the it's all the queer's fault right yeah well anyway yeah i'm getting all riled up (laughs) yeah (laughs) getting all ticked off now now i have heard people say about book bannings oh well if they ban this book from the library then more people will just buy copies of it so it's a net win for the author anyway what is your reaction to that well not everyone can buy it not everyone has that kind of uh disposable income the Streisand effect works on a handful of cases. Like the Streisand effect refers to, I think that there was one point where somebody criticized Barbara Streisand and she tried to have it banned and then everybody knew about it and then bought the item or whatever. I, do you know the, what that's all about? Where that Was it a South Park episode? Maybe it was a South Park I feel episode. like it because I know they made fun of her a lot and it, she got really mad or, or maybe it was just some website. But yeah, Barbara Streisand tried to have some some kind of mean criticism of her removed and as a result the criticism or the parody or the insult or joke or whatever it was just went wildly popular and it just got more exposure i feel like this whole episode i've been talking about information clarity and the information like accuracy all that and uh, all the references i'm making are half remembered ephemera like what wasn't there a <laughs> i am being a real crummy librarian here i'm sorry <laughs> wasn't there a guy who said a thing once about the i don't know yeah 
<laughs> whenever it's december it's it's dark all the time i'm sleepy yeah, yeah. no one's thinking clearly right now i'm not uh, so no <laughs> the it only this effect only works on the top handful of cases right a lot of things that get quietly banned fall under the radar they just do if you're able to make a lot of noise about it that's great and it'll get you in an, and even if you do make a lot of noise usually you'll get the an initial rush of like profits or a, a rush because you know attention equals money right so you get an initial right. rush of attention but then that ends the next scandal happens and you're you're still stuck as part of the uh as a banned individual or a band or somebody who's not getting the kind of residuals you deserve or not or the information just isn't getting out there so i mean it'll only get you so far uh, here at brooklyn library we have hired a handful of librarians who got in trouble in their own home states because they shared banned or challenged materials and they got in trouble and they got fired and Brooklyn Library hired them, thank heavens. Those were situations wow. where they could go to the, they could go online and say, hey, look, my community is censoring me and they can get a little attention. Maybe they can start a GoFundMe. Maybe they can try to fight it a little bit. But most of the time, people's attention will just wander away elsewhere. And guess what? You're still out of a job. Or you're still getting threats from the crazy person who won't let go. And thinks you're going to eat his baby or something. Guess what? The crazy person the crazy person is not going to let go. The crazy person has a much longer memory. You still have people who are mad at Jane Fonda because she, I guess, I don't know. Right. Said that Vietnamese people were humans or something. I don't know what she did. <laughs> yeah. Man, maybe these Vietnamese people don't deserve to be napalmed. Ah, kill her. Ah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. when it's 40, 50 years later and you still have people pissed off about that because hate is lasting and hate is sticky. It's hard. So that's what I'd say is it's not enough to just, oh, you have this counter like, I'm grateful that there is the initial rush of attention after something gets banned, but it's not enough. And it's best that the banning doesn't happen altogether. Mm -hmm. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah. And I, I know slippery slope arguments aren't great, but... When it comes to, to banning something successfully, that can set a precedent. Like, okay, let's ban something else. Yep. People are looking at not nice entities are looking at what they did, what they're doing, and what they were successfully doing, and they're being hungry. They're saying, what can we get away with now that this got away with it? Oh, this locality mm -hmm. closed down their library. They kicked out all of their teachers. They harassed these people to seclusion. What can we do on a statewide level? What can we do on a countrywide level? Yeah. Yeah, you got to nip that shit in the bud. What can we export to other countries as a caveat to their getting any kind of American aid? Like, this is the ways that uh, these sick ideologies can spread themselves are really insidious. Yeah. 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 All right. Yes, Harley. I'm sorry. I'm talking. Is Harley a clown at you? Yeah, he, he's been very quiet this episode because he can't find his ball right now. Maybe I tired him out because we played fetch for a couple hours today. Well, uh, tell Harley I said meow meow. Yeah, Harley, meow meow. Harley, baby, meow. Listeners are going to be really disappointed that they haven't heard my cat yelling through no. the entire episode. They're car they're, we are uh, going to get several subscribers dropping. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, the right good bingo table is going to be incomplete. <laughs> yeah, we're going to lose a couple of Patreon subscribers this month because of, because of Harley's quiet. Mm -hmm. He's he's giving me the silent treatment right now because I didn't find his ball before I started recording. Let's see here. Harley he's... meows. We complain about capitalism. Completely irrelevant tangent.
so anyway, uh, why don't we we shift toward what libraries are doing to fight this and, and what can any of us do? You mentioned you wanted to talk about books unbanned. Yes, let's do that right away. So uh, part of Brooklyn Public Library, uh, they've set up an initiative called Books Unbanned. And um, I have in the past bragged about, oh, I'm part of that committee. I'm not. I, I'm part of the glorified mailing list of that committee. But it still makes me feel very proud that these very cool people in Books Unbanned are even I'm part of the same organization, Brooklyn Library, that is doing something like this. So what is Books Unbanned? In 2022, Brooklyn Public Library launched Books Unbanned to help teens combat an increasingly coordinated and political effort to ban books in school and public libraries across the nation. The American Library Association has reported a record number of challenges targeting at least 1,600 books, including classics like Toni Morrison's Bluest Eye, which is a Toni Morrison is perpetually challenged from the many decades. Yeah. I was about to rhapsodize about how great Toni Morrison is, but anyway. Yeah, she's great. About how her existence is a problem for these these book banners. But Books Unbanned opens BPL's entire electronic catalog. So I was referring to our uh, e-catalog before, and I was expressing some tinfoil hat-esque concerns about third parties and privacy, but ignore all of that because the reality is (laughs) that's just me being, uh, extrapolating me being a tinfoil hat guy, whereas... The reality is that BPL's electronic catalog has about 500,000 items, and we can lend them out to anyone in the United States, ages 13 to 21. So the idea is they can send us an email. Let's see the email address. Send, if you are between the ages of 13 to 21, even if your community is not banning your book, send an email to Books Unbanned. Let me find what it is. To booksunbanned at bklynlibrary.org. And we will send you an application. You fill out that application and you get an e-card. And with your e-card, you can borrow any one of our electronic books or audiobooks. And we have not banned any of them. So you're nice. You're ready to go. You can that's, download it right That's fucking your... cool. Yeah, it's great. And it's been amazingly successful. I want to brag about some of our statistics. It's been going off like hotcakes. The URLs generated. So we've sent out a, a, little, over, a little under 6,000. About 5,800 e-card applications sent out, and uh, the completed ones is a little over 4,000 applications completed. Nice. So we've set, we've given out those. We've had about maybe 50 requests a week coming into our inbox, and our librarians responsible for that inbox have been tireless in sort of responding to those. This is really great. We get about maybe so far we've had about 51,000, maybe a little under 52,000 checkouts to uh, 2,500 active books and band patrons. We've been trending at about 8,900 checkouts a month, which is pretty good. And the top five, so the different states that we're getting these out of are pretty interesting. There's two different statistics I want to share. The first is just the top states that where we're getting these applications completed. It's Texas, Florida, California, Pennsylvania, North Carolina. And you might see a lot of stuff there like, oh, Texas and Florida, that's had a lot of uh, censorious stuff going on there. But I do want to say that that's a little tilted because those are also the most populous states. Yeah. Right. Like saying, oh, California has the most amount of, I don't know, shoplifters. Well, California also has most amount of people. So it's that's kind of not as yeah. accurate as it could be. What's interesting are the top five states per capita. Uh, it's at a rate, at a per capita rate per 100,000 people. You have, We have Idaho, Vermont, Utah, Oklahoma, and Nevada. Vermont's a little bit of an outlier. I'm going to say it's just because there are so few people in Vermont that <laughs> yeah, 
there's genuinely so few people in Vermont that any amount of activity there is a lot. But Idaho and Utah and Oklahoma, I mean, yeah, there are states that these smaller states that Utah has a strong religious trend toward there. Idaho and Oklahoma. I mean, a lot of these states have kind of go under the radar while Texas and Florida, because they have large populations and a lot of money, they kind of get the big news. But most of these, most of the more strident censorious stuff goes under the radar, comes from places that aren't necessarily hip or cool to talk about. Don't get a lot of noise about that. Books and Band, though, I'm really proud that that happened. And it's, there was news. So in Norman, Oklahoma, an English teacher quit after the first day of school because she came under fire by sharing the Books and Band URL. Wow. She got, uh, she shared it with her 10th grade students and got, she was a target of vicious right-wing attacks. She was dubbed a pedophile. The good news is, is that the Brooklyn Public Library has offered her a position there as part of the library's cool. teen intellectual freedom council. I'm very pleased that that is true. And, you know, you just, you fight wherever you can, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is a good way. I'm very proud of that this happened. I recall, this is just a funny little anecdote, but it was about a year ago, a little bit before Books and Band got launched. And I had sent out an article about, you know, sent, uh, book banning to other YA librarians saying like, hey, we should do something about this. And they were like, yeah, Eric, what's your plan? What do you want to do? And I said, oh, no, I have to think of something to do. So I said, well, what we should do is we should make a list of the all the books that are being challenged and then post it somewhere and then have a big display and do statistics and analytics. And all of the cool people who are working on books and band already kind of responded to me and were like, thank you for that idea. And no, in, in very nice terms, they indicated that that was a kind of a lame idea. And don't worry, we've got something much cooler in the works than uh, just <laughs> making a dinky list or like, and doing that. This is really, really cool. And I, I'm, I'm happy to uh, help out and support any way I can. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Is there anything else people can do? Is there something like, say you're you're living in a small town and the crazy hate mob decides to target your local libraries for some really stupid reason. What could this hypothetical person do? So, uh, on a, so I have a general answer and a specific answer. The general answer is, uh, before I had mentioned this, but organization beats everything. And organization yeah. needs to be countered by organization. If a group of well-organized hate mob people come to your school district or come to your library or come trying to protest your drag queen story hour or anything like that, the headline that they're looking for is the community, the people hate that this is happening and they went out to protest. But if mm. you have an organization and you counter them at every turn, then the headline is this is divisive, which is a much different headline. It's just very like different. Then it suddenly becomes this one group doesn't like this other group. And that is that above all else, these this loud minority doesn't want that, doesn't want the idea that they're not the Vox Populi. They're actually just a well-organized cranks. That's the one thing that they don't want. And even the presence of supporters at any given protest is enough to blunt it a little bit. And it's a brave act. I remember when BLM protests were going out, you'd have these very, very small towns where even just one person on a street corner with a sign that says Black Lives Matter getting spat at by their neighbors, that's a very, very powerful statement. So organize, 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 pay more attention to what your local school board is doing because people who want to ban your books and make your life hell for your gay kid, they're certainly paying attention to what's happening at your school board and what's happening at your library. 
get together with your friends, form your own organizations about protecting local education and local educators. The ALA has a lot of different resources, and I'll, I might want to share the link with everybody, maybe in the show notes, if that's okay. But uh, yeah, sure. Staying informed, attending a Band Book Weeks program, organize your own Band Books Week program. They also have, the ALA has, they have an office for intellectual freedom and you can submit, they're creating a, they're creating a database of attempts to ban or challenge books. So anytime there is one, please put that in because the ALA is doing stuff with that, which is really important. American Library Association is ALA. They're great. They're just terrific. They, uh, yeah, they're very good. They've helped out my job a lot because there are times where I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And I go on to their their newsletter and I'm like, yes, here are things that have happened before. This is terrific. Write a letter to your favorite band or challenged author. Tell them to thank them for what they're doing. Submit content that addresses censorship to their intellectual freedom blog. There's like specific calls to action here on the ALA's website, but just as a generality, uh, organize with your neighbors. And if there is an attempt to for them to protest something, having a counter presence at all times, it does wonders. Organization gets the goods. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So it's been about an hour. So why don't we wind down? Before we go, where can our listeners find and support you or, or shit you care about if you don't have anything to promote? In my off time, in my private life, I like to write Raquel's podcast and Raquel is sort of a the little community that you've set up that uh, has a lot of writing advice has been completely invaluable for that. And um, I've gotten a handful of things published. My name is Eric Horowitz. Eric Sandwich is just an online. <laughs> I'm not actually a talking sandwich that in defiance of God's will has been animated and can speak out to you using a tomato for a tongue. I'm actually a human being named Eric Horowitz. And if you went to E.T. Horowitz, that's E-T-H-O-R-W-I-T-Z dot com. Uh, I have a little website. I have a Substack, and uh, you can read my fiction. I'd appreciate some some eyeballs on that stuff because I'm vain. And uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, also tell me how handsome I am. I guess. <laughs> yes, you are very handsome. You're, you're very handsome. And you know what? I'm gonna thank you. Get to take a step further. Your cats are gorgeous. Your two cats they are, are. Just, like so regal looking, and it's weird that they're little derps because they're gorgeous yeah. cats. They know they can get away with being little shits because of how cute they are. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the pet mantra. And uh, yeah, support your local library. They do great stuff. Oh, and oh, there's nice. another thing too. Um, I just wanted to mention this also. So challenges to the library don't come just come from hard right-wing creeps. They come from even your local progressive liberal nice guy politician because libraries get their budgets cut. Uh, yep. As society goes more and more toward privatizing everything, part of that is carceralizing everything. That means cutting stuff away from public goods and services and putting them toward the police. And the idea is if it's a problem like homelessness or I don't know, this loosely defined concept of crime that is never really specified what that actually means. Just throw cops and throw prisons at it. So as police budgets increase, school and library and shelter budgets decrease. In here in New York, Eric Adams, who's just a charming guy, he's just great. In addition <laughs> to locking up everybody who, you know, everybody who seems to act kind of weird on the streets and involuntarily hospitalizing them, he's also facing some of the harshest budget cuts to the libraries that we've seen in decades, millions and millions of dollars. What's super ironic is NYPL, 
BPL, Brooklyn Library, and Queens Library and New York Public Library. For some reason, the different boroughs all have different systems. It's a weird, complicated mess, but and we love it that way. But referring to NYPL, they're having a proposed budget cut of $36 million, like $36 million. And it's as bad a budget cut as they've had for a while. It's going to result in Oof. lower time. Also, a single Manhattan condo could be sold to pay for that. Just yeah. to get give you an idea of how horrible the uh, income disparity, the wealth disparity is. This essential public service could be funded by a single house in Manhattan, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that there will be millions of fewer visits to the library, millions of fewer items circulated, shorter hours for the library to be open for all of the people who need it because they're not well-connected, comfortable people, like we had mentioned before. So check out to see where you're money is going and where all of these very nice, very liberal politicians who talk a big game about how they love, you know, how they're one with you. I remember, I think it was Andrew Cuomo who had come out and said, oh, I am black. I am Latino. I am a gay. I'm a woman. I'm gay. Shut the fuck up. I am a person who gropes his female staff. Oh, wait, I can't say that last (laughs) part. Well, I mean, even those guys who say, talk a big game about that, they're also cutting your library budget and putting it toward the police. Uh, Keep an eye out on your local community to see if, because that is just as harmful, if not more harmful than any group of organized weirdos who are yelling at you. Can't fight the organized weirdos if you have no budget. No budget. Yeah. So, and no personnel and you're open like three hours a week. It's true. And like, we've had people come in and go, you know, you guys are great. You should be open all night. Oh, but you probably wouldn't like that because Eric, you wouldn't like that because you'd be here at 2 a.m. And they'd be like, pay me. If you wanted to hire more librarians, I would love for that to happen. But you need to tell the city or the state or the county or whoever the buck passes to, to, to do that, to invest in that. Yeah. 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 All right. So thanks for coming on the show and sharing with us your your knowledge of the library system. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for putting up with me yakking up a storm at you. No, no I, problem. I feel very passionately fun. about this. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, libraries are really important. And they've always, God, people, ever since libraries have existed, fucking crazy people have been trying to burn them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the Romans got to that in Alexandria, unfortunately. Was it the Romans? Yeah. I think it was the I think it was the early Christians, wasn't it? It's you know what a better librarian than me would have had this fact. But go to your local library and yeah, and, yeah. and look up books about Hypatia if you want to be fascinated and also sad because she deserved better than what she got. Or go on Wikipedia. You know, here's the thing: a lot of times your educator will be down on Wikipedia, but if the thing about Wikipedia is you can find the sources at the bottom. So as long as it's well cited, you know, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not a Luddite. I'm just trust, but verify is my whole thing. Yeah. 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 But you should go to the library anyway, because, because they're pretty good. Yeah. We can get you on, you can get you all the stuff anyway. Yeah. I, I, I use my local library a whole lot for my book club books. (laughs) Sometimes I buy them, but sometimes I'm like, you know what? This book's been around for 50 years and the author is dead. I see no reason to pay for this. No. And it's, you our system doesn't do this, but a lot of other systems do. They like, oh, that's a noise. That is the sound of my cat. Yes, he found a box and he's playing in it. Good oh, boy, Harley. Good boy. Uh, the, good kitty. Uh, a lot of libraries will, on the receipt after you've done checking out the books, be like, you just saved this much money. You could have bought this book, but you just saved this much money. I think we should do that. That's kind of funny. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and thanks for coming on. And thank you all for listening. That's all for this episode. If you'd like to support us, visit patreon.com slash write good and subscribe. Until next time, keep writing good. This has been Write Good with Raquel S. Benedict. Hosted by Raquel S. Benedict and produced by Matt Keeley for KS Media LLC. Theme song by OK Glass. For comments and concerns, please write to us at writegood at kittystasis.com. That is R-I-T-E-G-U-D at kittystasis.com. If you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash writegood. This has been a Kitty Steezes production. KittySneezes.com in color. <laughs>